It's the 3rd of December, 1854, in Ballarat, in the colony of Victoria, just after 4am on an unseasonably chilly morning. A gold miner named Thomas Budden peers over the edge of a roughly built wooden stockade behind which slightly more than a hundred angry and heavily armed men are sleeping. These men have been expecting an attack for days now, but so far nothing has happened, and it's inconceivable to the vast majority that the government forces they're aligned against will attack them today. An attack on the Sabbath? No, never. But as Budden looks over the edge of the stockade, he sees something horrifying. Soldiers, hundreds of them, supported by mounted and foot police, are marching up the hill towards them. He desperately sounds an alarm. A bugle shatters the night air, awaking those who are here in the stockade, ready to defend their rights and liberties. And so begins one of the bloodiest battles since the massacres of the Australian frontier wars. The next 20 minutes will go down in Australian history as the Battle of the Eureka Stockade, sometimes simply shortened to Eureka. 120 or so valiant, heroic gold miners, diggers in Australian parlance, went up against the might of the British Army, who were there to enforce an unjust system of state-sanctioned violence and excessive taxation. These diggers were true Australian heroes, fighting for the rights we take for granted today. Or were they? I'm Juliana, and you're listening to The Skeptical Historian. Hello, fellow skeptics. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we get into today's discussion of the Eureka Stockade, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge that I am broadcasting today from the lands of the Wurundjeri Wathorong people, I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast is being listened to today. Now, gold was first discovered in Victoria in 1851, and by 1854, more than 90,000 people from all over the world had descended on the gold fields at Ballarat, Bendigo, and beyond. Now, at the time, this was a huge problem, as the relatively new colony didn't have the resources to support this kind of population boom. And what was more, gold upset the carefully constructed social order that the colony had been built on, as men could actually become very rich very quickly, purely through luck and a bit of hard work. So to try and combat the problems that were caused by gold mining, both real and imagined, and discourage people from going en masse to the gold fields, the authorities imposed a very hefty license tax. So in 1851, to dig an eight foot by eight foot claim, a digger had to pay 30 shillings a month in advance. And that was regardless of whether or not his claim was actually profitable. And by 1854, the license fee could be as much as two pounds a month. So that's 24 pounds a year. And to put this in perspective, this was the annual wage of a farmhand at the time. So this was a huge cost and it was greatly resented, especially by those men and diggers whose gold claims yielded nothing but grey rock. The licensing system was also very badly managed and regular license hunts were conducted by police at Bayonet Point. If a digger didn't have his license on him, 
even if it was in his tent and he was at his claim, he was marched off to the lockup and he stayed there until someone either paid his fine or more likely bribed a police officer to let him go. Unsurprisingly, this systemic mistreatment and the refusal of the government authorities to actually do anything about it or rein the police in led to unrest. Now, things came to a head in Ballarat when a man was murdered in October of 1854, and the murderer was actually acquitted initially after he bribed the magistrate. There was an explosion of violence following this, and the murderer's hotel was actually burned to the ground, and the man himself was forced to flee for his life after the miners declared their intent to hang him from a lamppost. Now, tensions mounted over the intervening months following this incident, and by December, on the back of consistently harsh crackdowns and increasing brutality, the diggers decided to make a stand against the license and the license fee itself. They raised a flag, burned their licenses, and built a fortified defensive position. Eureka Stockade. And then they swore an oath to stand truly by one another and defend our rights and liberties. Now, at their height, they numbered around 10,000, and this is against the approximately 400 police and soldiers who were stationed at government camp, which was the outpost of the Victorian government in Ballarat. Initially, the stockade was honestly designed as a place the diggers could retreat to in the face of unjust license hunts, but this defensive philosophy was quickly abandoned and the rhetoric and the actions of the diggers started to heat up. By the Saturday before the attack, the Eureka Stockade had become a fortress and an attack on government camp was being openly planned by the men inside. Now, the authorities knew this and they made the decision to move first. So rather than wait to be attacked by a force which outnumbered them 25 to 1, they observed the situation and struck at the opportune moment. This was when an attack was least expected and when the forces inside the stockade were depleted, with most of the men having returned to their own tents outside the stockade. And this actually swung the odds three to one in favour of the government. At 20 past four on the morning of Sunday, the 3rd of December, 1854, at least 30 men, including three soldiers, were dead, and as many as 30 more, including three more soldiers, would die in the coming days. The stockade was burning, the diggers were fleeing or being captured, and an uncomfortable legend was born. Now, this legend is the one that has endured to this day, and it's the one I am the most skeptical about. And that is that Eureka was a battle for liberty and freedom against tyranny and oppression. There's a prevalent idea that the soldiers were cowards, sneaking up on the sleeping diggers in the wee hours of Sunday morning, rather than engaging in a full frontal assault in broad daylight on Saturday like brave men would. How absurd is that? No military commander is going to storm a defensive structure when the odds are 25 to 1 against him. The attack on Eureka, while brutal, was an ambush. And ambushes are a tactic which have been used by militaries all over the world since the dawn of time. Secondly, in the immediate aftermath of the battle, the diggers put out that they were innocent and peaceful men who had been driven into this rash and violent course of action. But the manufactured outrage that followed Eureka has a hollow ring of hypocrisy to it. An attack on government camp was being discussed in that very stockade, and the diggers had the numbers, the means, and the ability to carry it out. 
It's also worth noting that the diggers' claims of the stockade being purely defensive are countered by their actions in the days leading up to the battle. They had gone through Ballarat, robbing the general stores there of arms and ammunition, stealing horses, and beating to a pulp just about anybody who didn't support their violent rhetoric. They were also conducting regular military drills and making weapons where they couldn't steal them. These are clearly the actions of a belligerent force. As uncomfortable as it is, the myth of the good digger and the bad soldier it's just that, a myth. Victory at Eureka came down to the execution of good tactics by the government forces, who had better intelligence and more experience than the stockaders. While I don't argue for an instant that the men killed that day deserved it, when one armed man brandishes a weapon at another, someone is going to get shot. And that's all I have for you today. If you've got a question or want to know more about the sources used in researching this podcast, you can reach out to me via the Get In Touch page on my blog, Skeptical History, www.skepticalhistory.com. That's skeptical with a K. Or you can click on the podcast tab and have a look at the show notes. Alternatively, you can find me on LinkedIn or Instagram. Just search Juliana Byers or email me, julianabyers93 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This has been a teaser episode for The Skeptical Historian. To hear more, including a more detailed discussion of the Eureka Stockade, make sure you're following my blog. This podcast was researched and hosted by me, Juliana Byers, as part of the unit ACCC 2011, radio production at Victoria University 2023. Sound effects by Epidemic Sound and the music track The Whistle Funk by Telsonic were used under an Epidemic Sound individual license the terms of which are very agreeable, and unlike the diggers, I won't be staging rebellion over this license.